Oh, come on, let's give the Lord a big round of applause. He's so worthy of it, right? Good to see you. I am so glad that you, I hope that you're glad to hear, and I hope that you're ready. God, move on my life. Speak to my heart. Do something within that's going to change this world. How many of you agree we need change, right? We need revival. We need people to come back to God, and the best candidate is the most needy person to come back to God. I don't know about you, but um, I sometimes get out of alignment, right? The spinal cord, right? Uh, I, I get to play, you know, a lot of tennis. I'm really grateful for that. And so a couple guys that I play with, we have a guy that we go to when something aches and pains and gets out of alignment. There's a guy that we go to. He's just got these healing hands, man. And, and we always talk about, man, just think if, if we weren't able to go to this doctor, when, when he retires, what are we going to do? And I was just thinking about um, that song that we sang, nothing is better than you, Lord. Nothing is better than you. And just as much as, oh, gosh, man, I really need to go to this doc. I need to get realigned. I, I, I need to get realigned with God because sometimes I get out of alignment spiritually during the week. The enemy just has a way of beating us up, right? So I want you just in the middle of this series that we're in Luke chapter 18 today, um, I really want you to just join with me and just renouncing and just denouncing the enemy. Don't you dare let the enemy tell you you are not loved, you are not cherished, you are not valuable. Don't let the enemy tell you that you're not. And so sometimes we get misplaced priorities. I want to talk about that today out of Luke 18. If you have your Bibles, 18 to 30, we'll get there in just a second. I'm always kind of interested in what Americans believe. Um, Just want to know what's going on out there in the lays of the land And so, um, I don't know if you knew, but the recent polls, CBS polls came out about God. And again, I'm always interested in what's going on in our nation. 82% of Americans believe that they're going to go to heaven when they die. 9% um, don't think that they'll go to either place. Um, 2% think they'll end up in hell. And 7% don't have an opinion. Now, I always kind of wonder about that 2%. What do they really do? Why do they think they're going to the bad place? away from God. The fact is two people die every single second in our world. 6,000 people every hour, 155,000 people will pass from this earth each day and 57 million people every year. Those numbers seem overwhelming, but I really want to just kind of hone down this morning and what does that mean for us? Each of us, I believe, are valuable to him. And we don't want to leave this earth. I don't want anyone in my life that I know, either acquaintance or family, I don't want anyone to leave without the assurance of knowing where they're going. And I'm so glad that, aren't you glad that God gave us the assurance that we can know without the shadow of a doubt where we're going? Um, this guy, it's very intriguing to me that we're going to read about. We, we don't know his name. We don't know much about him other than what the Bible says about him. We're going to read in just a moment. Um, but in this text that we're going to read, um, he was a man that was lost, but he had everything. He was wealthy. He had well respect in the community. He was a young, rich, young ruler, which means uh, in that context, in that day, most of the synagogue rulers were older men. This guy was a younger man. He was very successful. Everybody in the town knew him. He had a good reputation. He was good. He was moral. Um, he's been trained by the best. Um, He's kind of probably the person that was in sales, and he could talk to anybody. He just got along with everybody. He was, as the Bible says, we'll read in just a second, well-respected, but he had everything that life could ever offer. 
And yet still there was something missing. When my wife and I got married, um, before we got married, we talked about, let's get married. And when we decided, you know, I asked her to marry me at Disneyland. And so uh, after we did that, we planned, like, what do we want our life to be like? And we, you know, we're going to have really good jobs. And um, we're going to get a big house way up on the hill or down by the beach and, uh, you know, have farm animals and just everything's going to be great. Everything's going to be wonderful. Maybe someday we'll have kids. We have these high hopes and high dreams, don't we? And we think because what we have in the worldly sense, that means success or that means happiness or someone's content. But of course, we all know that those things aren't bad to have. It's not bad to have a house on the hill and lots of cars and fun things. But what am I doing with that? How am I managing that? And this man, I believe, came to a place in his life where he just couldn't come up with the answers. He didn't know where else to go, but he goes to the right one. He comes to Jesus. I want you to see him with me, just running to the Lord in kind of a frantic mode. I've only got one shot because everybody's so bombarded around Jesus. I've got one shot to ask him one question, and this is the all-important question that he asked Jesus. So let's read this text together in Luke 18. Once a religious leader asked Jesus this question, good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus' response is golden. Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. And the man replied, Jeez, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. When Jesus heard his answer, he said, There is still one thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions, give your money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come follow me. But when the man heard this, he became very sad, for he was very rich. When Jesus saw this, he said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. Those who heard this said, then who in the world can be saved? And he replied, what is impossible for people is possible with God. And Peter said, We've left our homes to follow you. Yes, Jesus replied, and I assure you that everyone who has given up house, wife, brothers, parent, children for the sake of the kingdom of God will be repaid many times over in this life and will have eternal life in the world to come. Don't steal, don't murder, don't cheat, don't lie, don't look anybody else's wife, don't look anybody else's husband, all those things. I've done those things. I got a problem with this guy, a little bit of a problem, because he thinks he's all that. And I think Jesus' response is golden. But what I love about Jesus and his response, first of all, let's get first things first. Why do you call me good? There's only one who's good. Now, that hopefully that maybe causes some question in your mind, because wait a minute, I thought Jesus was God, son of God. Trinity, hope, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and he's saying he's not good. I'm, I'm confused, and that's okay. Jesus was trying to make a valid point that he wanted the man to focus all his attention 
on God in heaven? Because that's really the context of his question. What must I do to be saved? How can I get that golden ticket? How can I go into heaven? And Jesus' response, of course, if Jesus was asked that question today, he might answer that just a little bit different. But again, we have to go back to the background of what was going on. This guy was under Old Testament law. He knew the law. He knew the Ten Commandments. Actually, there were 613 laws that the Jewish people had to follow. And because he was a rich young ruler, probably a synagogue ruler, he memorized literally the first five books of the Old Testament. That was part of what a Jewish young boy would have to do before they would enter into this You're age 12, and then they'd be bar mitzvahed. They'd be accountable to law. Now, some of those young men that had this passion, this hunger, this thirst, would be in the rabbinical school to be chosen as possibly one of the rabbis. This guy had all the things that seemed right. And so Jesus says, the only way you can get to heaven under Old Testament law is you have to be good. And good, really in the Greek, in the original context, means perfect. And hopefully something clicked in this guy's mind where he should have said, well, I'm out. I can't make it. Of course I've broken one of the laws. Jesus says, if you've looked at a woman lustfully, you have committed adultery. If you've hated somebody in your heart, you've murdered them. So Jesus took the Ten Commandments, and he really drilled down into the heart of where we live. And I'm so glad he did. I'm so glad that we live under the New Deal and not the Old Deal. The old deal is scary, right? It's all law. The new deal, we're covered under God's grace. But that time hadn't entered yet because, remember, Jesus yet hadn't died. So here we have three things Jesus says to this guy. I want you to go and sell all your possessions. I want you to give to the poor and then come follow me. The saddest part of all of this is when it says, but the man went away sad. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record this text. If, if, if you want to just get a broader text, if you want to take some time, you can look in Matthew and Mark because there's a different perspective of the same scenario. It's almost like in the middle of an intersection if there was a car accident and there's four people standing on each one of the corners, each one will have a different perspective on the same event. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are standing on each one of the four corners and they're looking at the same event in Jesus' life and they're just recording from their personality bent. Yes, the Holy Spirit used these men and women back in the Old Testament, to write down the text, but yet sometimes I think we, well, the Bible's just written by men. Yes, it was, but it was inspired. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture has been inspired by God. So everything we read, we know it comes from God. And Mark's gospel says, Jesus looked at him. He looked at him, and he loved him. I don't want to rush over that one. I've read that many times. You've probably read that many times if you're a follower of Christ, maybe heard some sermons on that. And i got to be honest with you. I don't know what that really means. How did Jesus look at him and love him? The only thing that I could come up with is when we have questions in the Bible, it's always good to go back to the Bible because the Bible answers the questions that I have that I don't really know. So there's a couple of places in Jesus was embarking on Jerusalem, if you remember this. And it says he looked at the vast array of his people, all of Israel, all the people that God himself created. And he saw them as helpless, that they needed a savior. They needed the Messiah. They needed direction and purpose in life. And at that moment, Jesus shed tears over his people that were so lost. 
You might remember that Jesus in John chapter 11 was on his way to Jerusalem, just previously been in a little town of Bethany, probably much like Mission Viejo, lots of hills and valleys, quaint little town. Well, it used to be that way back in the day in Mission Viejo before we were a city, but that's kind of how Jesus would retreat to this place at Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' home. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and unfortunately, Lazarus had taken ill, and he passed away. He had been dead for two days. Mary and Martha run up to Jesus. They, two days it took them to find him, and then when they find him, out of breath and frantic and really kind of, and Bible says, indignant with Jesus, Jesus, if you would have been here, you could have fixed this. If you would have been here, you could have fixed our brother. You could have saved him. I look at that and I think, gosh, Lord, how many times have I, Lord, if you just could have, or if I could have done something, we could have done more. And I love what Jesus, he doesn't get frustrated. He doesn't get anxiety stricken. Jesus doesn't panic. He doesn't react. He turns around and walks back to the little town of Bethany with Mary and Martha. And he comes to the tomb where Lazarus had already passed away now four days before he performs one of the most amazing miracles in the New Testament, he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. It says two little verses, or two, two words in one verse, shortest verse in the entire Bible, Jesus he wept. So I got to think. And when it says Jesus looked at him and loved him, he loved him because he was giving him truth. He was giving him what was right. But I think there was something deep down in the heart, in Jesus' gut. I think maybe when Jesus turned away because the man went away, that I think Jesus shed tears. I don't think that Jesus said to the disciples who were traveling with him and some of the women that were taking care of Jesus and the disciples, I don't think, well, guys, we got to go. I think Jesus stopped in that moment. He was in that moment. He connected with this man because he wanted the man to know God loves you. He loves you. If there's anyone here that's doubting or question, you know what, Mike? You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what happened to me. God certainly couldn't love me. And I just want to remind us and reassure us that God loves you exactly where you are, not as you should be. It's an in-your-face love that will never leave. Jesus says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And can I just be honest with you for a moment? I think I can talk on behalf of our entire pastoral team here at MVCC. I don't ever really doubt from my mind that God loves me. But there are moments when I'm in the deepest, deepest, darkest pit of life. It might be emotional or going through something or family member. And I think, God, where is your love in this moment? Because I don't feel you right now, God. I need to know, God, that you're here. And sometimes the fact of the matter is we don't feel it. We don't emotionally connect. That's why he gave us the word. The word of God connects with our mind. We understand. And then when we get in those moments with the Lord, we can remember deep in our heart, God, yes, you do love me. Don't ever, don't you dare let the enemy tell you you are not loved by God. And because he loves you with an undying love, that causes me to go, I want to get to know that God. I'll follow him. 1 John 4, 9 and 10 sees these great words. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Is anyone here that just wants life? You may have come to service with someone. We're so glad that you're here this morning. 
But maybe you're just lacking life. Where is life? I mean, I got the house. I got the cars. I got the vacations. I got a good marriage. I got, I got great kids. Everything's great. But there's something missing on the inside. And it seems like I'm striving and looking and trying to find it. And I just can't. It might be that you're at the right place. Just like this man was at the right place right before Jesus. Jesus said, I am with you. We're two or three are gathered. He's here with us now. And maybe for whatever reason you're here, God wanted you to know this one truth and never leave that God always will love you. First John 3, 1, see what great, see what great love the Father has lavished, lavished on us. That Greek is like a waterfall of love that's continuous. It never stops. That should be, we should be called the children Sons and daughters of God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. So I think Jesus wept. I think he cried. His heart was breaking because he wanted this man to say, you know what? I've been trying all my life. I've had everything together, so it appeared. But now I know you are the one that we've read about in the old school book. You're the one. I'm following you. That's what Jesus wanted. Breaks my heart. What breaks my heart is to have people hear the gospel, the love of God, and think, nah, I just don't want to do that, or I can't do that, or I don't want to give up this, or I don't want to do that. And all the while, God's heart breaks. Just surrender. Just give it all up. Why would we not? The disciples, I love Mark's account because he picks out Peter. Peter's the one that is always speaking out, right? He's always impetuous Peter. He just, gosh, Always sticking his foot in his mouth, saying something he shouldn't have said or not saying what he should have said. And I just can relate to that. Gosh, I can. Why did I say that? Why can't you just keep your mouth shut? God gave you two ears and one mouth, dummy. We left everything to follow you. We left everything. If this guy who has it all together and he's not going to make it, see, they hadn't fully, I believe, understood the gospel yet. Because remember, the context is Jesus hadn't died on the cross. We get the benefit of knowing Jesus already died, so we understand the gospel. They didn't understand the gospel yet. So that's why Peter is now defeated. And he goes, wait a minute. If this guy who had it all together has all the money, all the education, all the reputation, has everything he could ever want, if this guy's not going to make it, we're lost. We're doomed. Because Peter was looking at the outward. He wasn't able yet to see into the inward person, which is what Jesus was looking at. We're not rich. We're not attractive. We don't have authority. We don't have oratory skills. We're not salespeople. We're not educated, which reminds me of these two truths. I hope this is helpful for you. Salvation cannot be earned. It can't. It cannot be obtained by being good enough. That's why I think 82% of people in America think they're just going to heaven. Because we have falsely stepped into something that is not truthful. And I think there's lots of ways, which we have, if we had more time, of like talk about how the enemy is so sly. He's such a schemer. He is such a deceiver. 
He's so arrogant. He's so prideful. He wants one thing, and that's to take God's children down. You know how it is, those of you that are parents, maybe think would-be parents here for just a minute. You can do whatever you want to me, but don't ever touch my kid. Don't even go after my kid. You have to go after my kid. We're, we're, we're going we're gonna to battle, right? And that's the, if the Satan himself can hurt God the most, it's to go after you, to deceive you, to deceive our nation, deceive the world. If I'm just good enough, if I just have enough religion, if I've put enough money in the offering, if, if I've done just fed enough homeless people, if I've been nice, if I've cussed not so many times this week, if I, and we, we get these little religious games going and think, well, God will accept me because I've had a really good week. I'm just so glad that God doesn't accept us on a really good week because we can never have a really good week. God said in Romans, there's only one who's good. Jesus said that to the man. Why do you call me good? There's only one. Only God is good. Only God is perfect. So what's the standard? If 82% of people believe they're going to heaven, where's the standard? Is it the Pope? Was it Billy Graham? Was it Mother Teresa? I'm trying to think of a generational person that lives now, and I can't think of anybody in that status. But uh, where is the line drawn? There's no grading on a curve. Jesus is the standard. And he's saying the only way you can get to heaven is me being perfect. And, of course, that doesn't work. Because I'll be the first one just to say it out there. I've done something wrong. Haven't we all done something wrong? That's why we needed a Savior. That's why we need God. And that's why Jesus is so passionate for this man's soul. Peter couldn't see it because he was looking at the outward. And I find myself doing the same thing. Well, this guy's really successful. Man, they really have it together. Double income, $5 million home, Maseratis. They have everything they could ask for. And what's wrong with me? I'm driving a broken down 15-year car of Toyota Tacoma. What's wrong, God? There's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong because it's all the outward stuff. God looks at the heart. The encouraging thing about this is God gave us the way. We are all weak, we are all feeble, feeble, and we are all broken. That's just the fact. Don't ever let anyone tell you you are not worthy of his love. Don't ever let anyone tell you, well, only certain kind of people can serve on a missions team. Certain kind of people can serve the Lord. Certain kind of people can really serve God in the church. Not true. Abraham was, think about this in the Old Testament. Abraham was too old to have kids. They were in their 80s. Isaac was a daydreamer. Noah got drunk. Jacob was a liar. Joseph was abused. Moses was a murderer. Gideon was afraid. Samson was a womanizer, Rahab was a prostitute, Jeremiah was too young, Timothy was too young in the New Testament, Elijah was suicidal, Jonah ran from God, Job went bankrupt, John the Baptist ate bugs and dressed weird, Peter denied Jesus three times and even knew him after knowing him for three years, Mary and Martha had anxiety, Mary Magdalene was demon-possessed, the Samaritan woman slept around, Zacchaeus was too little, Paul was a murderer, Timothy got homesick, Lazarus was dead, what's my excuse? Right? The person that's most likely to have a passion to serve God and love him with all their heart is not the person who has it all together. In fact, it's to the contrary. Every person I just read here had a messed up life. That's why I love what somebody told me one time. That's why Jesus is called the Messiah. He helps clean up the mess. Don't try and clean somebody's life up. You just bring them Jesus, and then God will clean that stuff up. By the way, I'm not cleaned up. I still got stuff. I got issues. I said one time, we should have shirts that say, I love MVCC. I got issues. Because everybody's got issues. Everybody's got stuff. 
They were looking at the outward and thinking, this guy is going to be the disciple of all disciples. You get it? That's probably what I would have been thinking because my dad, when he was here, great man. I love my dad. Came to Jesus six months after my sister and I did. Even after having all the things that Mission Vale can offer, he still was lost on the inside of his heart. And he had everything that Mission Viejo could offer. And I think what we do is if we get the celebrity to accept Jesus, if Justin Bieber accepts Jesus Christ, and I, I, we want all of the celebrities to know Jesus, I, I, right? Everyone. We want everyone. But the, we think, well, if this person does, then the whole nation will get saved. It doesn't work like that. God uses the most unlikely people. When my wife and I were serving uh, in Hawaii in youth ministry, we worked with high school kids and junior high kids, and then we moved here to uh, SoCal again, and so we were same uh, position. We were working with uh, high school and junior high kids. Loved every minute of Loved working with students. They have so much, their whole life is in front of them. They got so much future ahead of them. And they say that it's about 75% of people who accept Jesus do before the age of 17. So there's a lot of potential there. Love kids, love working with students. That's why we have a vibrant youth ministry. That's why we pour resources and pastors and leaders into our student ministries because that's where the change can happen. I love all of you old people. Older. But I would say most of the change happens, right? I accepted Jesus when I was 17. It doesn't mean we give up on anyone. It's just we got to look where the stats are. And the stats are saying that young people are looking for something. What's tragic tragically happening in our nation is that kids are dying by the wayside because they don't have what this man has just asked for. We had youth nights on Wednesday night. Every Wednesday night. Pastor Zach, you know this, man. You're pouring it out, pouring into your leaders. You get that message going. Got to make sure there's lots of food and fun and excitement for kids. You want them to bring their friends. It's not just about a club. It's not just about a place to come to. It's about you want those kids to know God. And you want those kids to have a burden for their friends now in high school and junior high. So there were two kids in our youth ministry, Frank and Sean. Frank had it all. He was a surfer. Frank looked really, uh, he was good-looking guy, he had girlfriends, he had money, he had education, his parents were going to send him to, I think it was at the time he was looking at Stanford University, he was very well-educated, very smart, had it all together, white teeth, he had everything, and we honed in on this kid, and went to the beach with him, and loved him, and hung out with him and his friends, and was watching for opportunity, I just wanted to share the gospel with him, and say, hey man, you've been hanging around for a few weeks, we'd love to just introduce you to God. Would you be interested in doing that? And he kind of said, eh, I don't know. And it blew me away because I thought, this guy, he has it all together. If we get this guy, we'll get 100 kids because this guy will reach 100 kids at Capo High School. Little did I know there was some other kid over here named Sean. Sean was goofy. He was weird. He was a surfer, but he was just weird. And, and he, invited me, he invited me over to his uh, home. This is back in the day when youth pastors could go to kids' houses. You know, we had, my wife came with me and everything. But I remember walking. He lived in his garage. His parents made his garage into his bedroom. So that's where he lived. He invited me in. And we opened up the Bible. And as I'm looking around his garage, I'm seeing posters everywhere. Some surfers, some of the beach, SoCal stuff. And then there was a few of Cheryl Ladd in bikinis. <laughs> And there was, uh, do you remember Farrah Fawcett, that big, big, all that stuff? And in my mind, I'm like, dude, what are you doing? But I heard the Lord say, don't you say anything. Don't you say anything. Because if you start going after the way he's living, 
He'll turn himself off to the gospel. That's, it's not about living right and then receive Christ. It's about receiving Christ and then living right. So we just did the, the gospel. We just shared the gospel, the good news. And, and Sean was just, he was just weird, man. He took me to the beach and I said, dude, if you teach me how to surf, I'll teach you about God. He said, okay. And I couldn't learn. This guy was doing everything he could. He must have thought, this guy is out there, man. He can't even get one wave. What's amazing about this whole thing is I didn't think Sean was going to grab onto God. I really didn't. Because I was looking at the outward. When God was looking, this kid's heart was so hungry. This kid's heart was so thirsty for something in this life. And to know that he could live forever if he were to leave this earth was something he was looking for deep in the heart. But I didn't know. Sean now leads a regional ministry up in the Portland area for church planners. Not only did he find Jesus, he got saved, but God called him into the ministry full time, serving God, serving Jesus. He's got four kids. He's got this incredible wife, incredible life. I mean, it's not perfect, but the guy, the guy would probably be dead if he didn't know Jesus. My point is this, is you never know who's going to grab onto the gospel. It's the one that's the hungriest on the inside, and sometimes we don't know because everybody's got it all together here. We think, oh, well, they won't accept Jesus because they're happy. They have everything. No! We all have the darkness on the inside, don't we? Contrary to popular belief, we're not all holy. When we get out of the womb, we are prone to sin. The Bible talks about this. David said, I have been sinful from my birth. It doesn't mean that we're damned to hell when we're kids. We talked about that last week. Jesus saves little children. Children are saved. Children will be with Jesus. There's a guarantee in the Bible about that. And I'm so glad for that. But for those of us now that have grown beyond years and we're accountable now to God, the question is, where are you going? Where are you going? And I don't mean that judgmentally. I just want you to have the truth that Jesus is speaking here by receiving Christ. We can have the greatest reward, not only on this earth, but in the earth, in the life, and the heaven to come. Forgiveness of sin, guilt removed, power of the Holy Spirit, peace, answered prayer, fellowship, brothers and sisters, family of God, purpose for life, heaven, fruit of the Spirit, guidance in life, spiritual GPS. Why wouldn't I want Jesus? Why wouldn't I accept Christ? And I realize that there are some sins that are fun, but they're temporary. It doesn't last. It's like going to the beach, grabbing a handful of sand. It just eventually sifts through your fingers. It doesn't last. And that's why God is saying, come follow me. Don't just believe in me. Jesus did not say, fill out the card and you're saved. Oh, that's fine. Fill out a card. We want to help you. But it's not as easy as just saying, yeah, I believe in Jesus. 82% of Americans probably believe in Jesus, but that doesn't mean we're all saved and not made or judge anybody's soul. But we have to look at face value, what the facts are. If 82% of people believe they were going to heaven and they were full-on followers of Christ, our nation wouldn't be in the trouble that we're in. So, will you follow? Will you follow? Yes, we want you to accept Christ. And today, the Bible says in Hebrews, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Well, why would I want to do that? Because he loves you. He loves you with an undying love that will never end. And he wants you to be with him in eternity more than anything else. 
And that's why he came. That's why he lived for 33 years. That's why he, he laid himself down on the cross. He allowed the Roman soldiers to pound the nails in his hands and feet. He's the one that allowed the soldiers to blindfold him, literally punch him in the face, spit on him, and put a crown of thorns on his head and let them beat him senselessly as a spectacle that you ever think you're ever going to claim to be somebody like this man. We will torture you and kill you. And literally what they did is they murdered Jesus and he allowed himself to go through all of that for you. For me. I don't ever want to think for a moment that allowing my priorities to be disengaged or out of alignment remove me for what is the greatest priority. And the greatest priority this morning is following Jesus. And the second is I pray our heart breaks for people who just still don't know that. Amy Carmichael was a famous missionary. She was an Irish Christian woman who went to India, lived in India for 55 years to do one thing, to open up orphanages for children. She wrote 55 books. She didn't do much speaking, but she did a whole lot of loving the throwaways of society. Here's what she wrote down in one of her books. How's thou? No scar. No hidden scar on foot or side or hand. I hear thee sung as mighty in the land. I hear them hail thy bright ascendant star. How's that? No scar. No wound, no scar, yet as the master shall servant be, and pierced are the feet that follow me, but thine are whole. Can he have followed far? Who has no wound or no scar? If we choose to follow, there will be a cost. It'll cost you time, It'll cost you some emotional energy. It may cost you some of your money. But I can think of no greater way to serve God than to serve and love people. And the reward that we'll get in heaven, I think it was Jesus who said in Revelation 2, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. The devil himself may put you in prison for 10 days, but be faithful even unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. In Romania, in the 80s, it was against the law for a Christian to go into that country and bring a Bible. I read in a book a long time ago, when you entered into the airport in customs. Do you have any guns? Do you have any food? Do you have any Bibles? So there was a couple of missionaries that decided that they were going to go in to Romania. And here's what they decided to do. They were going to memorize one book of the gospel, the entire book. And when they went in, they went into the small, dark 
basements of where people were wanting to know, is there really a God? Well, the government caught wind of this, and there were soldiers who found out for this one particular meeting, knocked on the door, barreled through with their guns, and pulled every single one of those 13 believers in Jesus, kneeled down on the concrete, and they asked the question with guns pointed in the back of their head as they're kneeling down, tell us that you don't believe in Jesus and we'll let you go. Two or three of them said, oh, no, 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 we, we, we were just checking out. We, we don't know this Jesus we're not following. The rest of them, hands behind their head. And the next sound they were waiting for was for the rifles to be fired. But the next sound that they heard were the soldiers that put their rifles down on that cold concrete and said, good. We've been looking for the real Christians. Would you tell us why you believe in this God? Following him brings the greatest reward because it brings joy to his heart. So where really are our priorities? Is Jesus calling you now? My question is, are you willing to forsake all to go after Jesus regardless of the cost? You know, the fact of the matter is, if your answer is yes, it might cost you relationships, maybe some possessions, maybe a job that someone doesn't want a Christian working there, or maybe a reputation that we've clinged so tightly to. God says, I'm going to allow this to be stripped away because I want to rebuild something in you that's so much better. So will you follow? God, we love you. We love you. We don't just know about you, God. We say here at MVCC as a family, God, it is our desire, just like the Apostle Paul, I want to know Christ. Jesus, we want to know you, the power of your resurrection. And if need be, the fellowship of sharing in suffering. Have your way with us, God. Thank you, Jesus, that you gave everything to follow our Father. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I think about those soldiers that laid down their rifles because that was what brought them the most power and security, right? But they were willing to lay those down. When we come to a moment like this, and the worship team is just going to silently just kind of ease into some music. And it's a time for us to remember Jesus. So in the seat back in front of you, there's just some emblems there. And we just want to gently invite you to have a few moments, just you and the Lord. But here's the question I have. What is it through the word that we read today? What is it that God is asking you to lay down? God, once again, we thank you for communion and just this time to reconnect and recalibrate and just get realigned, God. Thank you so much for joining us at Mission Vale Christian Church. Just know that we always have live services here every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. 
We'd love to have you here, and we'll see you next time.